Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil, Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 202 of the Matinee Cast, the movie-loving podcast on the movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Summertime is when people tend to scatter, but it's actually my experience that summertime is also when people come together. Um, people have barbecues, people go to the bar, people get together at the lake, people have family gatherings. It's 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 a time to like get out of our little uh, cave to break the cocoon. Yes, 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 and, and actually come together. And um, so it was uh, just a few weeks ago when some of the locals got together. It's been a little bit tougher lately getting some of the local uh, movie nerds getting together, but uh, we had a nice little turnout, and uh, it even brought out uh, today's guest, who I haven't had a chance to see nearly as much of in 2018 as I would like to. Um, but uh, in that gathering, uh, I we realized. Hadn't had him on the show in a bit and um, said, what do you want to talk about? He pointed me towards today's movie, and I am deeply grateful that he did. <laughs> I knew we, would, would be. <laughs> we will get into that in uh, in a little bit, but uh, today we welcome the proprietor of In the Seats, a website you can find at intheseats.ca. Dave White is here. How are you, Dave I'm White? I'm good, man. How you doing? How was that subway ride over? Was it nice and sweaty? Uh, yes, <laughs> it was, but worth it. I'm you here know, now. You know how they, they sell those little like air fresheners for cars? <laughs> I want to make an air freshener that's like the one line in June. Totally. I, I think I think yeah. it'd be a big seller. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's skepticism. Um, on episode 202, we will be discussing Hearts Beat Loud. We'll take a moment to turn the record over and play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Dave. This is Know Your Enemy. So along with everything that we're about to mention, uh, Dave also had a Rogue episode where we discussed um, Begin Again, um, but we didn't do the the Know Your Enemy section in that. Uh, however, that episode will be in the show notes, and I do recommend you go listen. Um, but Dave's first full appearance was on episode 93, where we talked about Elysium. And we learned that the first movie he'd ever seen in a theater was Return of the Jedi. The last film he'd seen at the time was MacGruber. The worst film he'd seen at the time was Disney's Planes. The unseen classic or essential was The Apartment, which he has now seen. And the movie he wished he had made was Network. Next, he returned on episode 160 to discuss Neon Demon. I've come around a little <laughs> on that. I still think it's ugly, but I can appreciate it as an artistic That's fair. venture. That's fair. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like I, I can like leave it on. Like, I'll, I'll, it's actually a movie. I'll have it on and edit the show. Like, right. I'll, like, yeah. I'll block it out, but it's, it's, it's interesting to me visually. No, for sure. Okay. For sure. Uh, we learned in episode 160, talking about Neon Demon, that the film he digs and nobody else does is The Man with the Iron Fists, the film everybody else digs that he doesn't, and actually wasn't a film, it's a TV show, um, at the time, was Orange the New Black. Still? Still, Still. yeah. Okay. Just, yeah. That's fine. The movie to make him cry was the uh, film Coming Home by Zhang Yimou. In the movie of his life, he's played by Parks and Rec era Chris Pratt, and the film he was watching next was Kurosawa's Ron. It's now time for round three. David, what was your first date movie? I hate that you're bringing this up because it's such an ugly answer. Now I want to know. Okay. We're going back. Now to, I'm being intrigued. We're going back to I think '92 or '93. Stephen King's uh, Sleepwalkers. Okay. With Match and Amick and a bunch of other useless people, and it was it was such a horrible, horrible movie. Right, but I, like that's that's kind of the thing with with date movies when we're a teenager, right? Like I I, I don't think. Many people give a really good answer to that yeah, question. That's, yeah. that's kind of why I love asking that question because <laughs> nobody sits down and says that their answer was. Nobody sits down and even says that their answer was Titanic. You know, everybody says something shitty. Yeah. Um, and I, like, I mean, it's funny. Like, I, I don't get to answer my own questions, but mine is um, the Tom Selleck movie, Mr. Baseball. Oh. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> even as a guy who loves baseball movies, it's awful. <laughs> Um, no, it is. It is almost never a good answer. So, um, do tell. How did Sleepwalkers come around? Uh, it was just one of those things. I mean, I think if memory serves, she picked it. Memory okay. serves. I'm not 100, percent but thankfully, though, like just toward towards the end, of it, we were both ended up making fun of the movie as it was playing. Okay. So we like we managed to turn on it and go to Street <laughs> Science Theater on it about 45 minutes in. Right. So. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> see. See, I like that story because I, I like. I was thinking you were going to tell me something like, 
she ended up thinking badly of you because no, of the shit movie no, and no. shows. <laughs> and you know, like, like it had like like nerdy undertones or something. No lengthy uh, relationship followed that movie, right? No, yeah, no, yeah, no. no it's 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 ever that way with the first date movie. You know, that's <laughs> that's the way it goes. Sleepwalk. I've never seen it. Is it, it, it it's got to be bad. It's terrible. It, like, have you ever watched it again since? No, I haven't. No, because I haven't watched Mr. Baseball since either. Yeah, it's because it's '92. Yeah, dynamic. Uh, Alice Krieg is in it. So it's just it's Whoa, that yeah. that era of from the mind of Stephen King. That's that's in, what in, sold in te- it. Yeah. yeah, but in television and movies, that era is generally pretty bad. Yeah, you know, like you get you get a few outliers like Misery and uh, Shawshank Redemption, but all that other stuff like Lawnmower Man and. Yeah. The, the ones that they were doing for TV, like Langoliers. Yeah, I mean, The Stand is the exception to that, but I mean, I'm Even that, I'm not, I'm not, that, that hasn't aged It hasn't well. held up as well, no. but it's still miles better than like Langoliers oh, yeah. or Golden Years or yeah, any yeah, of those yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, uh, Oh, God. <laughs> Interpret the answer to this any way you wish. Okay. What is the film that made your love of film turn a corner? There's multiple answers to that. So there usually is. I think I'm going to give you the most recent one. Okay. Uh, no, no, recent, okay. Yeah, no, this was a couple of years back, Okay, actually. okay. Uh, a retrospective of the light box. They're covering the films of Eric Romer. Okay. Uh, just French, sort of new, like you know, new wave kind of stuff. That was very recently. A year and a half, two okay. years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And I got to see uh, a press screening of uh, 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 *My Night at Mons, uh, *Michel Mode*. Okay. Tell people what that's about, because I, I feel like that's it's a little very bit... much sort of it's 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 you know it's the man, the woman sort of the clandestine meeting. It's very French in that way. I mean, it's it's really just about this guy in this relationship who wants to be in another relationship and sort of the going back and forth and dating other women but being attracted to this other woman. And it the way the film is sort of made, like it's set up in these like impeccable long shots where there's not a cut for like 20 minutes. Okay. And there's just people talking and there's dialogue and it's it's so rich and it's so thick and it was like a press reading. I got to see it at like 10 in the morning with like two other people. Right, like, right. When you're up in number four with like almost a captive audience, you're just like sitting like, huh. sitting like, like, oh my God, you know? Okay. And then I walked out of it and like, oh my God, I know nothing about movies. You know? Wow. <laughs> I kind of had that sort of, it opened up that next chapter, especially sort of in the French New Wave and sort of a lot of other things. Because I mean, let's try as we might, there's always going to be gaps that we have in, oh, the sure. in terms of watching. Well, I mean, you're very much like me in the way that your your cinema literacy is very much self-taught. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, it, and it's and it, it, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And yeah. I, I, I actually kind of advise people to do that because sometimes it keeps the fun yeah. in it yeah, totally. uh, when you don't have to dissect a film frame by frame. Don't get me wrong. I certainly would love to take more fil- foreign film studies. Yeah. I think you know I might lose the joy if it was less if it was there was more work. True. Yeah. Um, but because of that, because of being self-taught, there's these, like you said, there's these gaps. Yeah. And so this was kind of one of these ones that one underlined the gap, and two, did it make you more curious about kind of going down that road? Yeah, it did. So then, how? Yeah, I guess that's my question: is it, how did it make your love of film turn a corner? Just, I mean, I guess, in, I guess, in, at least in terms of being able to still appreciate things because I mean as, oh. I, as I'm sure you can imagine like when you're doing my job full time and you're watching everything because we are one of the few sites left out there that does try to cover almost everything it can get a little tedious at times because you're not always watching the good stuff you know what I mean yeah there's a lot of junk yeah you know and and, and we're not even talking about like small indie close but not quite junk we're talking about like planes junk exactly okay. yeah okay and so okay so it basically it reaffirmed your faith in the medium exactly nice yeah. okay yeah. very cool sorry what was it called again uh my night at modes my, my night at modes. Mode. Yeah. i will i will definitely look into that uh david what is your sick day movie bond any bond any bond I, I, any bond at all if push comes to shove i'll probably have to say thunderball but <laughs> okay. I'm a bond, like sick day movie. It's a bond. Yeah, bond. Like on Her Majesty's Secret Service. If push, yeah. If I had to. Quantum of Solace. Yeah. Oh, I don't mind the Craigs. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not saying minding the Craigs, but that's the one that everybody likes to wail on. Either of the two Timothy Daltons. Oh, I'll defend. Oh wow. I'll, I'll, de- I'll defend License to Kill. <laughs> I'll defend License to Kill. Okay. Um. I mean, like, like you're among friends. I, I certainly. 
even the bad ones I can I can appreciate yeah. for their silliness. Because there are Roger Moore ones that are, you know, Octopussy is not a good film. No, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, um, even For Your Eyes Only is not is not amazing. It's got yeah. some cool sequences and some funny jokes. Yeah. But um, it's not a good movie. Uh, why Bond? Like, did you grow up with Bond? I like, did. That, that's, I think that's, that's sort of my sort of, like, comfort safe action movie. I mean, I could say Schwarzenegger or Stallone, but really... At the end of the day, it probably comes down to Bond. Okay, uh, it's funny because like right now, I think they're almost all on demand as well. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix doesn't have them, so it's kind of hard to go there. That's the only thing with that is I'd be getting up and like changing discs right. over yeah, and over yeah, and over. Yeah. Um, do you have a Do you have a favorite two or three that would be like your starting point uh, for Bond stuff? I love sort of that Connery uh, like Gold, Goldfinger Thunderball sort of that window. Right. That's probably the peak okay. for him. Nice. For more, I love uh, Spy Who Loved Me. I think it's really That's strong. Such a good movie. It is. It is. And I mean, for Dalton, I will defend License to Kill. Dear it's God. not a great film, but it goes against the curve just enough right. to make it a little interesting. How are you? How is the how is the Brosnan era aging for you? Because the more time goes on, the less I like those movies. They are a lot dumber than I thought at the time. I think the earlier ones are aging better. The first two are great. Yeah, but the when back you have three to be are like Christmas like, Jones and what's your face oh, and yeah, 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 no, no. That's okay. when it's when we're, when we're into the world is not enough. It's like no. Even Die Another Day. Yeah. When we did when we did the uh, when we did the Skyfall episode, my guest pointed me back to Die Another Day, and when I was asking why am I watching this, they said I want to remind you that these weren't always as good as you thought they were. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Any bond? Cool. What was the last film to leave you speechless? Uh, Lynn Ramsey and. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix and uh, which I might be going to see that this weekend. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, what's the? You were never really here. Exactly. Tell people what that's about. Uh, basically, it is a sort of Joaquin Phoenix is this uh, ex-military person, but lives a little bit of a scruffy life. But he's a he's he's muscle for hire. Okay. He you know he will you know if he needs somebody beaten up or taken care of as it were, he will do that sort of thing. Right. But the way Lynn Ramsey sort of puts it together, and it's uh, from a book based, uh, written by Jonathan Ames, okay. who historically does a lot of comedic stuff. Oh, it's dark. It's like it's shockingly brutal, but it's so effective at the same time. It's huh. like this guy is scary yet sympathetic, and it's like it's really a fantastic turn. It's it's one of those ones I've heard it come up a lot in terms of like the best smaller movies of 2018 yes uh, like one of like the best indie movies some of the best early uh movies of the year um lynn ramsey of course is the woman who directed rat catcher and one of the best movies i've seen this decade we need to talk about kevin um yes. which you want to talk about a tremendously affecting movie that left me speechless um we need to talk about kevin um yeah i it's i i, I really i've kind of been beating myself up that I haven't seen it yet um, and it's playing around the corner so that might be my Saturday night um, Phoenix I think is he's an actor that's kind of been all over the place lately because nobody really knows what to make of him he you know he does the, the, the more yeah. subdued normal stuff like the master and then he does this really kooky bearded weird stuff um, I mean sometimes I don't, I don't think he knows how to take himself because I mean he's got <laughs> Like you say, he did the master, and he did you know inherent vice, which is definitely a bit of a turn. Oh yeah, that. yeah, I, I keep forgetting about that. And then this, and now he's got another one coming out in a couple of weeks, the Van Zant, right? Uh, which I'm blanking I on mean, the title right now, but yeah, it's kind of you know it's kind of like what we were saying before about the Neon Demon. He's never boring. No, that's you know yeah. I, I I might not like what he does, just like I might not like the Neon Demon, but it's not, it's not boring. Yeah. So you know you gotta you gotta do like like that in the age where. Hollywood has trouble launching stars. Yes. At least there's actors who do interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know, love them or hate them. Okay. Uh, looking forward to that one. So thank you for stoking the fire there. Last but not least, for now, uh, what is the film quote that would be your epitaph? This is a bit of a hybrid quote because it's it's more it's more TV. I'm than pretty film, sure that. Oh, okay. Ways. I was gonna say I'm pretty sure that's cheating, but go on. It would work both ways. but okay. it's, He's dead, Jim. He's what? He's dead, Jim. Jesus. <laughs> Tell people where that's from. Well, that would be that would be from uh, from uh, Doctor McCoy on Star Trek. Right, right. Okay. Uh, I mean, sure. 
I'm not going to argue it. It's a little on the nose, a little dark, but um, it's certainly... But I, mean, I think at least keeping with my sense of humor sometimes as yeah. well, so... Yeah, I'll grant you that. Okay. Good answer. Because I don't think I would want to take... I don't, want, I don't think I would want people to take my death, God willing, in long years from now. Uh, <laughs> Too to take it all that seriously. Right. So, yeah. Right. Okay, there we go. That's more about Dave. We'll see if he can top that when he comes back for a fourth, uh, for a fifth appearance. Um, but for now, we've got to talk about a movie, um, something a little bit smaller that not a lot of people uh, might be aware of. But it's a movie that we both think that you should really uh, see if you can track down. So we're going to talk about Hearts Beat Loud right after this. Hearts Beat Loud is directed by Brett Haley. It's written by Haley with Mark Bosch. It stars Nick Ackerman, Kiersey Clemens, Sasha Lane, Tony Collette, Blythe Danner, and Ted Danson. Hearts Beat Loud is a simple story, and it's a story of a father and daughter, Frank and Sam Fisher. Sam is headed off to med school in the fall, that's um, Kiersey Clemens, and Frank runs Red Hook Records, a vinyl shop in Brooklyn, that is Nick Ackerman. The crux of the film is about two things going on simultaneously. First is the fact that Frank is soberly facing reality and closing up his record shop after 17 years in business. The second is that father and daughter who enjoy noodling around and creating little tunes of their own piece together a song that is pretty darn good. Frank goes so far as to publish it on Spotify where it gets traction. It's at this moment that Frank wants to lean into the musical opportunity while Sam thinks it's not even worth discussing. So goes the push and pull of the end of a few musical eras and the difficulties that come with saying goodbye. Hearts Beat Loud is a movie about change, which is fitting considering the world we live in. I paraphrase an award-winning play when I say that we live in a world where one side says, change it all and nobody will lose, while the other side says, don't change a thing and nobody will lose. The reality is somebody has to lose. Yeah. In Hearts Beat Loud, the loser could be the daughter who has to face great challenges and take the next step in her life, or it could be the father who has to let go of his dreams again and close his business. Change is inevitable. Losing is inevitable. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. So, pop quiz, hotshot. <laughs> How does Hearts Beat Loud ease us through loss and change? This is a little gem of a film that makes it not as scary as it really does seem on the outside because there are like you say there are positives there are negatives it's stuff changes a part of life changes something you just have to learn to get through and i mean to even pull out another quote from uh yeah i think this was churchill or Lyndon johnson or somebody i think no actually it was churchill if you're going through hell keep going yeah and that's sort of because nobody likes to change mm -hmm change is an inherently scary thing, but eventually it's something you have to sort of embrace and push through. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a wholesale change, but there's going to have to be enough of a change to sort of deal with the realities of the situation that you're in at the time. What I think this film has to say the most and how it eases us through is that something ending is not capital T, capital E, exactly. the end, yeah. you know? It wants us to remember, um, as George Harrison said, all things must pass. Places we go to, passions that bring us joy, even people we profess our deepest feelings towards, all of it yeah. has to end eventually. But this movie, in its biggest moments, and even in its quietest moments, um, remind us that these passings, these changes, these ends, um, they bring deeper meaning and they allow all of these smaller stories within our greater stories yeah. to find their place um, within our memories. Sure. And, and, you know, something, something that feels like bitter, something that feels terrible, something that feels um, painful, 
um, can eventually have a an important and a, and a sweet place in our memory if we let it. Yeah, no, you totally. Know? Um, so you were the one who steered me towards this movie. <laughs> um, you're the one to blame. Anybody who wants to yell at me for why I've been going on about this movie all week, Dave, your, your emails can be sent to Dave. Um, what were your general thoughts when you came away from Hearts Be Loud? Just what a sort of subtle, sweetly told story this was. Because, I mean, on first glance, to anyone with any kind of cinematic knowledge, this is, this, this is like, oh, this is high fidelity 20 years later. Something like that. But again, it's got more nuance it, than that as well. So. It seems like, like, what I will say to that end is it seems like something I've seen before. It seems like the kooks making their music and running their music store. It's like, I've seen this story. Yes. Yeah, so how nothing, is it not So how is it not that story? Sort of the general performances from both uh, Kiss Clemens and uh, Nick Offerman, Offerman, obviously. Because it doesn't... It doesn't like you say. This is this is something we've seen before. This is not necessarily an original film, mm-hmm. but it doesn't lean into those expected beats for the most part. Okay. There's one or two moments where it's like, okay, he's doing that, and right. it's like, all right, all right, let's get through that for the resolution, and everyone will be happy. Yeah. But for the most part, it's not playing by the script. It's a story we've seen before, but it's it's not. It's you know, it's re- you know, to use the music parlance, it's trying to do a little bit of a remix. Yeah. And it's working. Yeah. I think for me, what I loved most about this movie is, in a lot of ways, it is a story I've seen before. Yes, you know, it's it's the, it's the the people are messing around. It, it's it's that thing you do. They're messing around and they're they're making their little songs, right. and one of their songs happens to catch. Yeah. And I mean, even that is kind of unique in the way that what it takes for a song to catch yeah. in 2018 is not what it was before. For sure. Right. Yeah. This is this is Frank. Uh, hearing his song in a coffee shop on Spotify. Yeah. Not him hearing it going out on the radio. Yeah. Right? Because radio is very different. One, radio is very different than what it was. Right. And two, we're not all listening to radio anymore. Um, But... This wasn't him running around the stations with 45s. Yeah. There was no montage like that. Yeah. Um, But that end of the story is not the crux of the story. Like, I mean... If this was the the story about a father and daughter band trying to make it, um, first of all, it's a failure of a story because that's only one little piece of it. Right. And second of all, it's completely unbelievable. Yeah. So the fact that it's more about um, Sam trying to get a firm grip on this axis point in her life, this mm. summer in between high school and college, um, her trying to... Like embrace a relationship that she yeah. has with Rose, yeah. um, and Frank trying to come to grips with my business is done, uh, who I was is done. What do I do now? Yeah. Which is really bloody scary as an adult. Yeah, you know, like it happens day in and day out where a person loses their business or they lose their job or they they just get grow disillusioned yeah. with what they were doing and they got to start over. And it's it's got listen. For people like you and I who have limited responsibilities, it's really scary. For people like Frank who have a daughter to yeah, support, yeah. it's goddamn terrifying. Yeah. Um, that, to me, I think, is what makes this movie. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of what... I was kind of why I gravitate to it, just because, I mean, I did have a life-changing experience. I had a father pass away, and I worked with my family and that kind of thing, and then I needed to find... I needed to find a way to shift... For my own well-being, but also to hold on to the things that I wanted and also maybe sort of embrace the things I wanted a little bit more mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that really comes through with, uh, with Nick Offerman's character as well, because as much as he's letting go of the past, he also kind of needs to let go of the past at the same time and needs to be able to sort of take a curve in, the, in sort of a different direction and not sort of live where he was and try to just sort of live where he is now, but still appreciate what he got to experience back then. Like, it, that, that's the thing that you feel for him, right? Because you can see for a second that it seems like... I love how we're talking around po- plot points. I know, <laughs> but it seems like it seems like for a moment this could be him reliving the glory days. Yes. You know, and listen, some sometimes, some of us, we get that moment for even a night. Yeah, okay? yeah. In reality, that's not a good idea. No. You know, it's, it's not good to go back. I do have a question, though. Is this film, at times, both in its story and its execution, is this film ever too timid? There's a lot of moments where the pace 
hangs for a second. Yes. Or you can you can see a character taking a breath, or you can see them. Like it's it's weird because in that way this film actually feels a little bit more real. Yeah. Right. Is but is it too timid? I, you know what? I, to a degree, yes, because there are moments in the film that, you know, I mean, again, I'm going to use music analogies here, but, you know... You're in the right place. The needle will be playing in the groove, it'll skip a little bit, and then it'll come back, and it's just like... Stop trying to seduce me. I know, I know. <laughs> Please continue. But there are parts with Offerman's character where he's really having sort of a unique and special kind of sort of story arc, and we're kind of getting behind him as an individual and we're seeing where it's going and then he does something it's just like oh, really okay I saw that one coming a mile away okay this is this is out of a this is out of a tired script you right, know this right. is the beat out of the tired script yeah. that they couldn't get rid of you know um it's funny because I, I did ask that question and in a way I kind of set you up because the timid nature of this movie is actually what endeared me to it because, yeah. because I feel like most films are, I, I think that's a fair point. I, you know, I feel like a lot of films are really clever. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of stories are really clever, and they're they're even when I can sense their characters wrestling for what to do, they inherently come up with what to do or what to say to stall yeah. long enough. I don't often see a character really, really overwhelmed by a moment or a series of moments, and both Sam and uh, Frank, um, I saw that. Over and over and over. I saw it with Sam when yeah. she doesn't know how to tell Rose she can't ride a bike and why. Yeah. You know, I saw it with Frank when he didn't know how to express to her, I really want to do this because I feel like it's the last chance to do this. Yeah. Um, even like there's a lot of interaction. We haven't really touched on it, but there's a lot of interaction between Frank and um, his landlady, uh, Leslie. Yeah. Who he quite clearly cares about a great deal, yeah. and she sort of cares about him in return, but not. There, there, there's a there's a there's a disconnect. There's, a, there. there's yeah. a disconnect. There's an imbalance. Yeah, and which is genuine, which feels genuine, it, yeah. and that's that's what I'm saying. That timid nature between her not wanting to say I don't like you like that, and him want, not being able to express yeah. I really like you like this. It's in there, and yeah. I love that it's in there because you don't see that in a movie very often. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and props to Tony Collette, by the way, who's just been in everything. Holy, hey, I'm like, you know, she's in a movie now. I go, <laughs> my God, like, the last, like just the last episode was another Tony Collette movie, and this is like night and day compared to her, her totally. work in Hereditary. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wish the only thing I wish about this movie is I wish there's a quick moment where she gets to sing. I wanted her to sing more. <laughs> that was the thing. I was like, if the, you know, there's there's a great big musical sequence at the end, and I wanted Tony Collette to take the mic. Anytime Tony Collette is singing, it is a very good day. Yeah. Like you say, I think the timidness was a big, like, sort of that not overplaying the moments. I feel like film. that's where a person is either going to love this movie or hate it. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I mean, I think a lot of that comes back to sort of the recurring joke with the Ted Danson character. <laughs> it's like, you know, well, there were trees there, man. You know, it's like, it's just, it's the, it's, it's that comfortable groove. It's that there's so much about this film that could have played like a stereotypical studio rom-com. What it could have played like is the typical Sundance comedy. And I, I listen, I say this with love, it could have played like Little Miss Sunshine. Okay? Yes. That's yeah. what, when you, yeah. when somebody tells me Sundance comedy, I've got a certain level of twee yeah. in, like, that I'm going into. And that is not this movie. There are really funny moments in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Um, but it is not that, um, it, it's not that, that, it's not that cute. Yeah. Right? Um, I love Ted Danson in this movie. Thank you for reminding me of him. You know, bringing, putting him back behind a bar, whatever it is, 20-something years after Cheers, um, <laughs> as, as this, like, aging hippie. And, I mean, and especially, there is something you and I will appreciate. There's, there's a real romance, but not sort of overt romance to the record store culture. Mm -hmm. That's in the film. Because yeah. Because even just that one throwaway line at the, at the beginning of the film, which isn't a spoiler, but... 
uh, Nick Garfield's character is smoking in the store. The customer says, I don't think you can smoke in here. And he says, well, if you buy something, I'll put it out. Yeah, yeah. But that's pure, that's a pure record store beat. Yeah, know? yeah. It, I mean, like, <laughs> listen, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who see, who hear, what, a movie about a record store owner and Ryan loves it? Kel, surprise. <laughs> um, but it's not, like, I think that was actually one of the things that endeared me to it is this is a movie that loves music but doesn't hang its hat on that like exactly it's, yeah. it's all around the borders of this movie it's everything from the records that are on the walls which are really carefully chosen but oh, not oh, but yeah. not deliberate you know like it there's a nice there's a nice a nice enough mix going on with the the music that you see in here that i don't think it's ever trying to be too clever no yeah right um, but I mean, again, like you say, there's an engineered reason why there's a Lana Del Rey and an Iggy Pop right next to each yeah. other. That kind of thing. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Or why they watch, why why they're into everything from Animal Collective to yeah. to, to the Backstreet Boys. Exactly. I mean, like, that, if you want to talk about a movie that is about love, about yeah. pure love of music, yeah. when you have one character, the, not the character you would think either, espousing why a Backstreet Boys song is good, yeah. you're in a very particular movie. Of course, yeah. Um... But again, a lot of that also goes back to the spirit of just loving music, which is a lot of times will come through in the record store. And I mean, I remember a line from a record store down the street that you and I used to both go to, Vortex Records, yeah. not there anymore. One of the staff there just told me one day, it's like, if you like it, it's good. Don't worry about the don't worry about the snobbery. If you like yeah, it, it's I good. I, I wrestle with that so much. I'm, I'm so bad with that sometimes. There's some music that people like, and I'm like, why are we listening to this? <laughs> um, I really try to, to square myself to that, but it's it's really bad. Um I want to talk about um, I want to talk about Sam for a minute here because um, Kiersey Clemens, I remember her best from Dope. Yes, uh, where she would, another movie where she's a musician. Yeah, um, she's got some tough things to do in this movie. Absolutely, and she nails every single. Oh, one. this is a home run and then some. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the fact that this is a young woman of color, sort of moving on with her life, trying to become a doctor who also happens to be gay, and it's not being hammered honest like a sledgehammer yeah. during the film. Yeah, she's a she's a biracial daughter. Like she's a biracial child. Yes. And the nature of her upbringing is no big deal. Exactly. You know. Um this is the kind of thing like when we when people talk about representation in film, yeah. this is the kind of story they want. Of course. They want something where the central character happens to be a woman of color, happens to be a person who is gay, and that's not that's what not the whole what the story, about. You know, that's yeah. not what the whole story is hanging on. Exactly. Um it, it makes it more interesting yeah. because seeing her conversation like all those conversations that she has with Rose yeah. you could very easily put in a guy named Rody into that yeah. and, and they'll still work oh yeah but they're more interesting yeah they are you know um, well, there's there's a lot of great things that she does in this movie yeah all very quietly yeah. that, I mean again I think that's the great part of the movie because there's nothing about this film that's loud. As much Does as anybody it, yell? That's I love Offerman that. once or twice, maybe. I, yeah. think I think he kind of raises his voice, but there's no big crying, like big like profusion of emotion scene. Even when people do, you know, profuse their emotions. Yeah. It's not that kind of grand scene. Even when Blythe Denner is as his mother is off being, you know, yeah. the eccentric, crazy old mother. Yeah. There's no sort of there's no... Everything happens in realistic beats. There's no dramatic moment. There's yeah. no showdown. There's no, damn it, Dad, I want to be a doctor. No, yeah. There's none of that crap. No. It just plays out. Yeah. And, like, I mean, at this point in the game, I think that everybody coming into it for Offerman knows what an Offerman is going to do. Yes. Um, that's why we love him. Uh, I, I, over the last, like, two years, three years, I have, like, become a deep disciple of the Offerman. Yeah. I, um, yeah. And, I, like, I, and I love what he brings to this movie, both in his bigger moments and his quieter moments. Like, it's everything from him really kind of losing it and getting giddy in the in the coffee shop when his band comes yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Like, his expression in that moment is great. Yeah. Um, to even just the quieter stuff when he's trying to uh, square things up with Leslie and when he's, like, looking for answers out of Dave, the bartender played by, by Ted Danson. Offerman... He, I, I, like that. That man is a very deep well. And I mean, and even when he's playing in moments that are deeply stereotypical, mm -hmm. he does it almost to a point that it's knowingly 
does it, and it's almost a self. It's almost there's almost a little bit of a wink to the camera as he leans into these moments yeah. that are that he feels bad about leaning into, but yeah. he has to because this is where the character is going to. Well, see, what I love about him is I think a lot of people conflate him, in some ways, rightfully so, with Ron Swanson. Yes. When yeah. the fact of the matter is, there's a lot more of him in Ron Swanson than there is Ron Swanson in him. Yes, that's, that's and fair. And yeah. I, I feel like that is the good thing, is a lot of people have come to him because of Parks and Rec, yeah. and we haven't even touched bottom on what this guy can do. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny, because as I'm saying all this, the unfortunate thing is that here's another white dude who's getting his chance, like, really late in life, yeah. uh, when, you know, you know that that, pl- that playing field isn't exactly level. Um, we got to talk about the music in this movie. Because the band, who calls themselves We Are Not a Band, yeah. the music in this movie is so damn joyful. It is. And yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. And um, when you're doing a movie like this, when they when they talking about a song, if they play that song and they play their songs and it doesn't work, yeah. you're screwed. Yeah. Well, how did you how did you dig the music in this movie? Well, I mean, again, with you, it was it was absolutely joyous and lovely. And I mean, this this comes around to the whole point of the entire experience of this film. When's the last time we got to talk about a movie that was happy? Yeah, yeah. Like, really think about it. Yeah. You know? Even in its down moments where doesn't, things don't necessarily always go their way, this is a generally pleasant film. Mm-hmm. And in a world of CGI destruction and world. Bombs, up and dinosaurs, worlds. This is actually kind of nice, you know? Mm-hmm. I think what I like most about the music in this movie, besides the fact that I just flat out like the music in yeah. this movie, and we're not even talking about the soundtrack elements, which include artists like Mitski and Jeff Tweedy. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, but the, the music created specifically for this movie, allegedly by We Are Not a Band, is that it celebrates the joy of just creating something. Yeah. Right, like we, we're we've become a little too tied up in what is and is not real music. Yeah. Okay, and we like to shit on people who play to YouTube, or we like to shit on people who use their samplers and say that's not real. You're not yeah. doing it on tape. You're not doing it in a in a studio. You know, you're not yeah. actually. It's like shut up. Yeah. Just sometimes, if if a student and her yeah. entrepreneur father noodle around with a guitar and a sampler and a keyboard, they can create something really lovely. Yeah. You know? And, and that, I mean, I, I kind of love that you brought up Tweety, who does have a small cameo in the film. Yeah. Because that's exactly what Tweety did. He cut a record with his kid, and yeah. it's a lovely record. Yeah. Gonna... Yeah. And, and I mean, it's it's just, you know, if that's what you love doing, or, or, or if, that, if that is your reality, or you know somebody who that's their reality, just embrace it. Because there's far too many people who their version of quality downtime is flipping around their phone or watching their television or, you know, like reading Facebook. It's like there's not a whole lot of people who take joy, even if it's not really that good, in creating something and putting it out into the world. And that's what I think this movie is really a love letter about. Well, Um, that's why we gravitate to it, because that's what we're doing right now. I think so, I think so, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is... um, this is an amazing movie. I, I really like that it embraces endings because that's not something we're predisposed to do. Yes. You know, we're predisposed, like, you know, like you mentioned, like the passing of a parent, um, you know, everything from the ending of a career to your... But I mean, it, it embraces the ending in the fact that the ending isn't, it isn't the brick wall. It's not the firm ending. You pivot on the ending. Listen, we all have that. That's the thing. We all have that brick wall in our future. Of course. You know, and believe me, when you hit it, you will know. Of course. (laughs) Until then, your story is still being written, right? Exactly. So a chapter's over. Yeah. The sun is shining. Birds are still chirping. Yeah. And it's and it's you know it's not too much to say that this that that you know they part of the plot is what to do about the closing of Red Hook Records. Right. Yeah. And. I love that the closing of Red Hook Records becomes a party. Yeah. You know, there's something to be said for that, for the New Orleans funeral. And you know what? It didn't come in, but again, at the same time, it wasn't the, you know, there wasn't a montage of people running around the neighborhood going, you got to go to the record store, see what's happening, blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, even, I'll I'll be honest, where where I thought this was going to go without giving too much away is I thought this was going to go to a rebirth of Red Hook Records. 
I thought it was going to go towards, let's use it as a space, let's keep it open, let's keep on going. I, I But it ended on a, a pleasant but not a joyful, pumped up moment. It wasn't pumped, it wasn't unnecessarily pumped up. It was, it was a joyful, believable. pleasant moment, it was believable. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was, you know, it, it was a good ending, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, oh my god, yeah, I, I want... It, it wasn't that jump of the air moment of... Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a freeze frame. It was just funny, because there's a couple moments where you think that this is the freeze frame that right, they end yeah, yeah. You know? They don't, and I like that they don't, and they give it, they, they give the whole story, uh, like, a little, like... Uh, epilogue, yeah. a pair of epilogues to kind of show you where things have gone. Yeah. But it's not, you know, we it, it wasn't the last waltz. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We end every matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Dave Voigt, what is your souvenir from Hearts Beat Loud? The spirit of maintaining your passion or mm. your creativity, even if it's in some sort of small form, no matter what, like life throws your way. Um, I mean, I think the ending of the film really does sort of capture that without giving it away. But this is, sort of being able to sort of hold on to that—that that is no matter where you've got to pivot and turn along the road of life. You know, that is very, very important um, and very well said. And that's something that um, I think both Dave and I can speak from experience and say: you will face a challenge, no matter what your passion is, and you will struggle. Yeah. Whether it's whether it is, you know bowling on a Saturday morning right, yeah. or writing or creating music, yeah. there will come a moment where you're like, why am I doing this? Yeah. And it's, listen, you may not necessarily maintain that passion, but as long as you maintain passion for something or someone, I think you're okay. But it's, it, it's, it's hard. Any passion will face multiple challenges along and, the way. And that really is sort of the lesson of, I mean, at least for me from the film, it's, and this is something I try to preach in my daily life. No matter what you do, no matter like, like don't stop. Yeah. Because people like we have friends like, oh, Dave, do this. How do you do that? It's like just don't stop or enjoy it. If, you, enjoy if you're it. if you're not enjoying what you're doing, do something you enjoy. Mm. You know, whether or not you get paid for it or make money off it or not, just yeah. do something. Uh, for me, I mean, okay, so I mean, one souvenir was Nick Offerman's face <laughs> when he see when he hears his, his music. Um, I want to shop at Red Hook Records. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I am still a believer in the retail experience. I love going to record stores that that, that are like you that. and I will, will live and die on the pillar of physical media. I, I, I mean, well, I physical media and just you know, like places where places where they 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 care about. They it. care. You know, yes. he he's he's a stick in the mud. Yeah. But at the same time, I still feel like I would want to support that kind of stick in the mud. Yeah. I don't really want somebody who's going to judge my ass, and that's the thing. He's just there. He, if, if anything, he's nonchalant. He's like, "Come on in and buy something if you want. Don't bother me if you're if you're not gonna." Yeah, you know. And he's not gonna judge me because I go up there with a Backstreet Boys record, right? So, but it's also at the same time, so many people will miss out on the experience of, you know, not being sold a copy of the Three EPs by the Beta Band if you're in the wrong <laughs> store. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, or people will people will miss out on going into a store and hearing Tweety or hearing. Yeah. I mean, my first experience hearing Bonnie there was in a record store. Yeah, me too. Right? Yeah. And, and and that's what I think is going away. There are a lot of ways to discover music. Totally. But there, for me, is still no better way than somebody going, here. Exactly. That's, I love that so much. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think it's going to be like complete non-surprise to everybody listening to this show if they've listened this far. But we rate here on the Matinee Cast on a scale of one to four stars. Dave Boyd, in the seats. What do you give? Hearts beat loud? Uh, as close to a four as I humanly possibly can. Uh, like something th is amiss. Uh, no, no, it's, uh, listen, we've been talking about this movie for a long I time. Lo I love Offerman in the film. I just find there are some moments when he tries to lean into sort of those surly and depressed moments. It feels a little... Forced? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, like, no, you know, no surprise out of me. This is a four. This is a movie um, that spoke to my heart um, at the at the right time, at the right moment, on the right night, and it's a movie that I'm gonna revisit often. So, um, oh, and I mean, and, it's something I'll revisit often as well. Yeah, it's, and this this is a movie I, I'm sure is gonna be coming up for me at the end of the year um, in some capacity or another. But well, um, I mean, and it's a reminder too that just you know, in the tall grass of the. Uh, you know, the superhero, comic book, Ant-Man, incredible, tentpole, humongous movies, there are still some little indie gems out there. You just got you just got to go find them. You got to dig them There's up. There's a lot of really great stuff playing down at Cinema 8. 
exactly. you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> All right. Hey, listen, maybe you think we're nuts. Maybe you think this movie isn't nearly as good as we're making it out to be. Or maybe you think that we are being far too hard on this movie. And it is a modern classic, and we should get our heads out of our ass. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash darkmatinee. What do you think of Brett Haley's Hearts Beat Loud? We're going to come right back after this, flip the record over, and play the other side, talk about some more movies. Come back. Back, Matt Nakecast 202. He's Dave Voigt. I'm Ryan McNeil. We've been talking about Hearts Beat Loud. Uh, time to assign people some further reading. Uh, you're the guest, of course. You can get us started. What was uh, what were some of the movies that you thought about after this trip to Red Hook, Brooklyn? Well, I mean, High Fidelity. You can reference that. So I mean, yeah. it's actually that's a good place to start because that was actually my first point of reference with this movie. Um, and there is, I will include in the show notes, there is actually an entire episode dedicated to high fidelity where we talked about it at length but why why was that the first one to come to your it, it felt like i mean in many ways the sort of unofficial next chapter sort of the interesting sort of the progression of the life of these characters as in this felt like the next chapter to high fidelity yeah, very much so okay it's it, again it's a life progression it's because in high fidelity his you know john cusack's character is obviously trying to branch out and diversify and try to find something else other than the store that makes him happy. He, and obviously he did for a while, but as much as things can happen in life, things change. Yeah. Things can pivot. But this is a guy who doesn't necessarily know how to pivot all that well. Right, right. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, High Fidelity is a movie and a book that I cling to deeply. It's a yeah. book I read every single year yeah. around this time, and it has become... Something of a time capsule, because I think about when the book was written, and how old I was, and, and like the era um, of it, and where I am now. And it reminds me of guys I know. Yeah. It reminds me of guys I was. Yeah. Um, and how that is not always good. Yeah. Um, high Fidelity is... A fantastic movie, and a fantastic story. Like, I, I like make me let me make no bones about that. But in some ways, it is a very ugly story. Yes, it is. You yeah. know, whereas Hearts Beat Loud is a story of love and a story of joy. It still has some of those moments of. But what about me? Yeah, you know that, that that's the thing. Is High Fidelity really is in in a lot of ways a story of. But what about what I want? Yeah, you know. Um, and in some ways I do feel like that's in Hearts Beat Loud, but not in the same way. Now, even in the record store end of it, yeah, yeah. right? Um, they're both, they're both in that kind of headspace of, I, I am entitled to make fun of my clientele. Right, of course. You know, yeah. this is my bar, my rules. Right, yeah. Um, but I get a little bit more love for the actual music in Hearts Beat Loud yes, than yeah. I do, you know, like... Um, well, in, 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 in High Fidelity, it's a soundtrack. In Hearts Beat Loud, it's part of their lives. It's, it is, but I mean, like, I get the, the, the staff at Championship Vinyl. Yes, yeah. They want you to listen to a record because they think it's cool, and if you think it's cool, it's validation. Right. The staff at Red Hook Records want you to listen to music because it's good music. They want to give it to you. They don't want the validation. But again, a lot of that comes with age. When you're younger, you're That's, snarkier, you're a little more arrogant. Yeah, it comes I mean, down the road with age. It's just, it's good. Listen to the it's record. weird, because like, we're talking about the difference. Like, I mean, Rob in High Fidelity is like, what is he, like 32? Thereabouts? Yeah. Uh, Sam has got to be like late 40s, like 46, yeah. maybe even 50. There's a lot that can happen in that stretch of time, yeah. right? Um, hey, maybe it's because he's a parent and Rob is not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny because as, as much as I love... It's two different music nerd movies. Yes. That have two totally different... They're, they're two different types of music nerd. Yeah. And I think 
as much as I love that kind of music nerd in some respects and was that music yeah. nerd, and I'm sure in many ways still am, um, it's not the kind of music nerd that I identify with as much right. anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but still makes for a great movie and a great book. Yeah. Um, I think so. One of the first ones that came to mind for me was I went for the father daughter connection, and um, I remembered The Descendants. Okay. Um, because similar to Hearts Be Loud, you have a father and daughter who are not completely clicking. Like Sam and Sam and Frank really do click very very well. Yeah. in this movie like there's there's not a whole lot of actual animosity there's a differing of opinion and a differing of goals yeah. but there's a lot of love there for sure in the descendants you know, in the main father and the, the father and daughter is george clooney as matt and shailene woodley as alexandra and i mean it was first of all it's shailene kind of shailene woodley's coming out party yeah but yeah. they have a much much more strained relationship yeah and it's still about them kind of coming together in a moment of crisis. For sure, yeah. Um, that I don't that that, that in a, in a way where it's not like it's not over, in, in both movies it's not overly dramatized. Yeah. You know, uh, you you dig that movie, of course. Of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you remember like the last time you even watched it, or last I don't know, probably not since the festival, to be honest. <laughs> really? Like you saw you saw it when it released, and you had, you never revisited that. Uh, if I have, I don't remember. Wow. It's it's held up really yeah, I well. It, yeah. Like everybody, everybody in it. It's got Matthew Lillard That's playing, right, yeah. the, you know, playing the uh, the guy who's basically horning in on Matt's marriage. Judy Greer is amazing in that movie That's as right, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, uh, Robert Forster as his father-in-law. Robert Forster is in that movie. I yeah, God, he's the one. Like, I mean, he's the one because the whole thing is the affair that his wife was having isn't exactly common knowledge. Right. Like, there's a very small cluster of people who know about it. So, certainly not her father. Yeah. Doesn't know. And he's got this idealized version of his daughter who's in a coma. Right. And how his son is failing her. It's, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, like Hearts Be Loud, you've got these overlapping circles of stories. Yeah. And some people know the full story and some of them don't. Right. Um, that that really does really well in both movies. Yeah, for sure. I'd say, uh, listen, man, I'd say you should go back and revisit that one. I know you watch a lot, and I know you don't get a whole lot of chance to go back and, and, and like retrace your steps. It's one of those ones that's on the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know. Yeah, it's okay. The, the, we all have those lists. Yeah, yeah. no, but I mean, it's, it, it's funny, because that's one, I've only really kind of been revisiting it lately because I'm one of the schlubs who still pays for cable, and it shows <laughs> up on the movie, it's been showing up on the movie network a lot this right, month. Right, okay, it's okay. It's a good rotation. Yeah. So I'm like, this movie's a lot better than I remember, and I remember, and I remember loving it. Right. Okay. So, um, what's another one that came to mind when? Uh, it's not a good movie, but oh, I mean, it's, you have my attention. It sort of encapsulates sort of the nerd angle. Like, okay. I mean, you're going with a relationship angle. I, I think I gravitated more towards the sort okay. of the passionate you know, nerd angle. Yeah. But it was Be Kind Rewind, the Gondry film. Wow. Okay. Which is a movie I was only all right with when yeah. it came out. Like it was, it was okay. So, I mean, I was as well. Tell people about that movie because I feel like that's a movie that came and went real quick. Well, basically, Jack Black and uh, Gaskin Bay, otherwise known as Most Deaf, uh, are a, a couple of video store. F they're friends and they're video store clerks, uh, and they're just bumbling idiots. But. They inadvertently erase all the tapes in the video store. In an era where the video store... First of all, in an era where it's a video store still. Yes, and this second is about 2008. Yes, yeah, second of all... when the video store is actually dying. Yeah, so, second yeah. of all, it's a video store where they are still videos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Please get It's all still videotapes. Yeah. Uh, they accidentally erase all the tapes in the entire store. And their boss, Danny Glover, I think it was Danny Glover. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had come up with the brilliant idea to recreate... And reshoot everything in the store, <laughs> and, it, and it sort of it snowballs, and they get the whole neighborhood involved, and it turns like it's actually based on a true story. If I is really, it really well inspired by okay, it or something, okay. but it snowballs into the whole community getting involved, and then the, at the end of it, nobody really cares that the video store is gone. They're just all having fun recreating these, you know, these movies. These movies, you know, Ghostbusters, which was 110 minutes, is now like a 27 minute version. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, the, the cool thing I like about that movie is, and, and where that actually makes a nice pairing, is it gets back to the, go create something. Exactly. You know? Yeah. 
knits knit 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 some socks yeah. or or like cook something you've never cooked before or do a little like you know do a little doodle and put it out there on on instagram or For whatever sure, you're gonna yeah. do um and that's you know the whole spirit of their thing they, they get into this crisis because they've destroyed their property and they're like okay well, we need to come up with something we yeah. can't just close up yeah. so they create new property and the creating of the property becomes more valuable to them than the actual property exactly yeah. um it's funny because it, like it's not it's not really good it's it's funny yeah and it's amusing it's not the kind of thing that's really stuck with me that much uh in the last 10 years since i first saw it um but it's it's a good pairing like it's a good choice because it's a good pairing in the way that it's equally joyful yeah you know it's also it's not timid but it's bumpy at times like i remember that that's the thing that stuck with yeah. me is Michel Gondry has a way of, I mean, Michel Gondry at his very best yeah. has a way of smoothing out the road, right? It could be a really, really weird ass road, right? But he finds a way of making it a very smooth ride. This is him being a little bit more DIY, right? Which unfortunately, that was that kind of ended up being his legacy. Is he's he's actually a lot more. He's not nearly as smooth as he seems, right? At yeah. his better moments, like his career is kind of gone more in the direction of that or signs of sleep than it was, um, you know, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yeah. Um, and, and on that note, I just did get a, a text from a mutual friend of ours saying Ryan is wrong. I think you'll know who it's from. So why, what am I wrong about now? <laughs> well, what, what would you like to, to tell please, us? Yeah, please explain Robert. Why am I wrong? <laughs> okay. I had one more, um, to go along with, uh, to go along with hearts beat loud. And it's a movie, um, again, that gets into the, uh, heart of just going out there and creating something and maybe finding your tribe by yeah. doing it. Um, it goes back, I think, three years now, maybe four years now. Swedish movie called We Are the Best. Oh, okay. You remember yes. that? Oh, so, yeah, yeah. So this is a story of three, uh, uh, I guess they'd be junior high girls or maybe yes. high school yeah. girls in Sweden. Um, none of them fit in uh, in their in their school, which is much more... Um, materialistic and preppy and right. jock-ish um, and they come together and decide to form themselves a band and uh, they're not very good uh, they're, they're, they, their hearts are in the right place very DIY, very punk very rock very DIY, very punk rock very you know, duct tape and, and, uh, and sharpie markers but um, their heart is in the right place and, and you end up coming away from this movie thinking that you, know, you, you want to you want to follow them on their life's journey. Kind of like you want to follow Frank and you want to follow Sam. You want to follow the girls. Absolutely. Uh, in, in We Are the Best. You, you saw that movie too. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic film. Yeah. Um, which is, that's another one that I kind of feel like a lot of people didn't kind of latch onto. That just kind of... Um, well, it's they, the curse of the foreign film, right? So it's not, you know... Well, it, it's, it's hard because like, unless your foreign film is something like... Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or unless your foreign film is something like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Right. Unless your foreign film is inherently commercial. Yeah. A lot of them just kind of trickle off. Exactly, yeah. Um, which is a shame, because movies like this are really something that you don't uh, you don't see a lot of coming out of Hollywood. Yeah, that's true. It's, it, oddly enough, it was actually the, the guy who made it, it was like five years ago now, the guy who made it, it's, it was his last film. Really? Like he, he hasn't made another one since. Oh, wow. Which is weird because that that movie was like I would have thought that would have been his like jumping off. Well, point to, wasn't there talk of they're doing a, an English language remake of this? I don't want that. Neither do I. But you know, I like I mean, I know why they would do that kind of thing. It's yeah. the same reason why they made an American version of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah. Um, eh, just just see this movie. Yeah. You know, it, you just read the subtitles and. When they're playing their music, you don't even really need the subtitles because I'm true. pretty sure they're singing in English. Yeah. Um, but again, it's that kind of thing where they're doing, they're going out there, they're finding their kin, and they're creating. You know. For sure. That is episode 202 of the Matinee Cast. I'd like to thank Dave Voigt for dropping by. Come on back on July 16th for episode 203. I don't know what we're talking about, but all of a sudden there is a lot to choose from. Um, hey, if you've got a suggestion, you got a recommendation. Throw it my way, and I'll see about making it the next show. Uh, David is on in the seats.ca. Anything coming up this week that people can look forward to uh, reading? 
Uh, coverage of the purge. Uh, lots of we're taking a big look at the uh, uh, summer in Japan retrospective, mm. uh, launching at the TIFF uh, Lightbox, and uh, a few other goodies. We're actually covering the New York Asian Film Festival as well. That's ah, a lot of fun. Very so. cool. Very cool. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? At In the Seats. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, your welcome Palo, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes Store. Still working on Spotify. I hope to get that up by episode 203. Um, everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Hearts Beat Loud or any of the movies we've discussed on episode 202 can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email ryan at matinee.ca. Twitter, you can find me as matinee underscore ca and Facebook, where I'm facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts before I send you back out into the heat? <laughs> just thanks for having me, man. And I mean, again, just in the in the summer of the mind-numbing tentpole, just you know, keep your eyes open for the the, the small indie gem because they are there. I would say, like in the world of the mind-numbing tentpole, because you know, this is the thing: is don't get me wrong, a lot of movies now. They, the studios are relying on brands. They're of not course, even yeah. they're not even creating new franchises of their own anymore. They're they're using established names that, that breed familiarity. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But the thing is, is that there is so much more out there yeah. to be had. Absolutely. And, and fear not these other movies, because sometimes they can be much more worthwhile. For sure. For Dave, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.